0: Welcome to City Reach Cumberland's weekly podcast. We hope this message blesses you. For more information about us, you can check us out on the web at cityreachcumberland.com. So the message today is is part two of Enduring Faith. It's called Anchor of Hope, or uh, Anchor of Hope. Yeah, the Anchor of Hope. (laughs) David said, don't be thrown. I redid your graphic, so I just, it did throw me. I'm sorry, got thrown. But hope, I want to talk today about hope as an anchor. So this week, I've been traveling a lot with work lately, and this week I'm going up 81 North, and I'm on my way between here and Altoona, and I'm on Interstate 99, and I see a billboard. A billboard right away, I could see it's a, it's a COVID-19 billboard, and it said, the COVID-19 vaccine is a shot of hope. And I thought, you know what? Look, I'm, I'm, I'm all about medicine and I'm all about science. My son's uh, just became a doctor, so I'm all about that. But if you're putting your hope in a vaccine, that's, that's not even, a sh- that's like no hope, all right? Because the only hope for you is Jesus. There, there, there's no hope. You can't put hope in a vaccine, you can't put hope in, in, in anything, there's nothing for sure but Jesus. And so even myself, uh, most of you know, I got a COVID shot, because I want to travel things. And guess what happened to me two weeks after the shot? I got COVID. I'm like, come on. So I just want to tell you today that, that our hope is in nothing but Jesus and what he's done for us. And so we're going to talk a little bit about today about hope being an anchor. And when we get into this, I want to pick up on Hebrews chapter 6, where we, talk, we, we read last week about Abraham. He, he, Hebrews 6, verses 13, we're going to go through verse 20 this week, and we're going to review a little bit from last week, but not not a lot, but I want to really, if you want to write down three things about hope, these three things are found in Hebrews 6, 19, and really where we'll, uh, probably the the meat of the message is, is in this, that hope is an anchor for the soul, that's one, hope is an anchor for the soul, two, hope is sure and steadfast, And three, hope is fastened in the heavenly realm. So hope is an anchor for your soul. Hope is both sure and steadfast. And hope is fastened in the heavenly realm. And that's in verse 19 of the text today. So if you have your Bibles, your phone, you want to turn to Hebrews chapter 6. We'll be reading from there. Um, Otherwise, um, it'll be on on the PowerPoint in the back. All right, so when you think of an anchor, what are, what are some words we think of, if I say anchor, what comes to mind? Heavy, something heavy. The, 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 don't confuse anchor with ball and chain, right? My wife's laughing. <laughs> Why is it? Don't look at your person you're sitting next to, if it's your spouse, and say, is he talking about you? But I'm not. So an anchor, it's heavy. It has weight. It, it's, it's probably, what, made of plastic? No, it's made of something substantial. It's probably made of steel, of iron, some sort of of metal. Uh, it's, It's heavy. And where is an anchor most useful? In the water. Not on the boat. It's good to have it on the boat, but if the anchor's on the boat, it's really not serving its function, right? Because when it's in the boat, it's not securing you to anything. Now, give it, it might give you a sense of security that you have it, but the anchor is most useful when it's unseen. When, when it is anchored in something that you can't see. So if I have an anchor and it's out of the boat and it's only in a foot of water, I can see it. Is that going to do me much good? Probably not. But the anchor, when it goes deep, when it, it's, it's fastened to something beyond what I can see, It kind of like keeps me grounded. It keeps me steadfast. So the thought of a boat anchor actually fails when we look at the hope as an anchor because uh, it's a little different picture, although we're going to kind of start there. But we're going to see that hope as an anchor in the spiritual realm is a little bit different than the anchor of a boat. So let's go ahead. I want to go back to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, where we started last week. And because we're talking about enduring faith, and if you were here last week, who was the Old Testament character that we talked about last week? Abraham. Because we had a guy, Abraham, that had a promise that he was given when he was 75 years old, and he didn't actually see the fulfillment of his son that was promised until he was 100, so he has this waiting period of of 25 years. And when we looked at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it says, now faith is the what? Substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So that that faith, it gives substance to, or gives assurance of, or is the reality of things that are hoped for. So that if hope is not present, faith really has nothing to become the foundation of or to become the assurance of. And so that if if I'm going to have enduring faith, I've got to have enduring hope. And we talked about hope. If you look at Romans chapter 8, verses 24 and 25, it says that hope that is seen is not what? Hope that is seen is not hope. For why would somebody hope for that which he already sees? But what do we do? It says that we... Let's go to the next slide. It says that we eagerly wait for it with What? with endurance or with patience, so that if I can see Curtis, I don't need to hope to see Curtis. Maybe I wouldn't want to hope to see no, I'm just kidding. i love to see Curtis. But once I see something, it becomes in the natural realm. I can see it with my physical eyes. There's no reason to continue to hope for it. So hope has to do with this unseen realm. Hope is actually, uh, if you look at the definition, it means a confident expectation of or a favorable expectation of something good or a, a good future outcome. So think about this. If I have a negative expectation, I don't have hope. If, I, if I'm in the middle of a situation and I see disaster or I see failure or I see anything that's not a confident expectation of good or a favorable outcome, there's no hope present. Because hope in, in and of its definition is, is a confident expectation of something good. And so that if, if I don't have hope, I can't have faith, and if I don't have enduring hope, I can't have enduring faith. And, and hope is really, we talked last week, it's the ability to be able to see with my heart or see with my mind what can't be seen in the natural. That as I, and we use the example, one translation, I think it's the Amplified one, if you read Hebrews 11:1, one, it says that faith is the title deed, Um, of hope. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Faith is the title deed. And if I have a title to a car, it's going to describe the car to me. I can't see the car, but the more I read the description of it, the more I begin to form a picture in my mind, in my heart, of what that looks like, and it gives me something to hold on to. And the same thing's true in God's word. When I find a promise in God's word, the more time I spend in it, the spirit begins to speak to me and reveal to me and and gives me a, a picture in my heart of what that thing looks like. It gives me something to hold on to. And so a lot of times we, we, uh, we fall short in seeing promises come to pass because we just give up. Like, who wants to wait 25 years? Right? I don't. Now, you remember last week, I didn't put it there, I said I corrected my theology, I said that uh, how long is enduring faith, or how long does enduring faith last? Does anybody remember? Until you see the promise or... Until you die. Yeah, you guys remembered that. That's good. Because I said, God quickened in my spirit, Hebrews 11, 13. It says, these all died in faith, having not received the promise, but saw them afar off and were assured of them. So there's sometimes, like, I'm going to believe that I believe that I believe, and I'm going to stand and, and and endure until that thing comes to pass, or or I do. One or the other. And I plan on living a long time. Right? If I... <laughs> You, hey you guys die early if you want to I don't want you to but I'm going to live a long time Hey if you don't have a confident expectation guess what you don't have you don't have hope. you got to think positive you got to see yourself healed you got to see yourself whole you got to see your your marriage put together you got to see your kids not stuck in whatever they're stuck in. Let's go to the next next slide. Hebrews 6 says, When God made a promise to Abraham because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely, blessing I will bless you, multiplying I will multiply you. And after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Go to the next slide. Here's the question everybody wants to ask. Why do I have to wait? Why do I have to wait? You know, you think about... In Abraham's life, you know, we don't want to wait. We want to go to the microwave we want to hit, express 30 seconds. I want to put my promise in the convect bake, boom. 30 seconds, ding, 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 I'm taking my, my promise out. But there's times when you have to patiently wait. You have to endure. And and in Abraham's case, it was 25 years. And if you think about why, well, if you look at Romans chapter 4, verse 20, it says that, that Abraham didn't waver in unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. And it wasn't that he was strong in faith. It was, some, some translations say strong in faith. It was actually in the passive tense, which means that he was strengthened in faith. It wasn't him doing it. And, and that sometimes God has us wait because our faith needs to grow. Our relationship with him needs to deepen. I need to spend time. The more time I wait, the, the more I would get to know him. The more, the, the, the deeper the thing becomes, the, the, the stronger my faith gets. Sometimes we have to wait. If you look at Romans 5, I put the, the Passion Translation up here, is because you need some character development. And that's the one we don't want to deal with. See, sometimes God withholds blessing from us because our maturity level is not to the degree that would be able to sustain the blessing. Because if He would release what He's promised would destroy you that you need you need to wait you need to stand in that thing to the point where you have some character development if you read this read this, let's go to the next slide here look at this it says even in times of trouble we have a joyful confidence knowing that anybody like pressure i don't like pressure it says knowing that pressures develop in us patient endurance and patient endurance does what Refines our character. It brings about a maturity. Character leads us back to hope, and this hope is not a disappointing fantasy. Other translations say hope does not make you ashamed. You can have confidence in it. See, sometimes you've got to stay in that thing until your character gets developed, that you get to the point of maturity where you're able to handle the thing that God wants to place in your hands. See, it's an act of Mercy. That God doesn't want you to to, to fumble the ball. He wants you to be successful, but hey, you need to grow to that level to receive it. Here's what I can tell you. No matter what the answer is, no matter why God is having you wait in the middle of this promise, his timing's always perfect. His timing's always perfect. Here's what I know about God. God doesn't wear a watch, but he's always on time. Right? You're going to see me, I'm, 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 a, I'm a clock watcher, not in a bad way, but just that, that I'm always conscious of time. I lay awake half the night watching the clock, like, oh, i got two hours to sleep, oh, i got an hour 37 minutes to sleep, i got another 32 minutes to sleep, and then five o'clock hits, and then I get up, and, and like, I constantly am aware of time. God lives outside of time, he doesn't wear a watch, he doesn't keep a calendar on his iPhone, but he's always, his timing's always perfect. Think about this. Think about if Abraham had believed God and Isaac had come a year into the promise. Fast forward to when Abraham sends out his servant to find a wife for Isaac, who was who? Rebecca? Had, Had Isaac come too soon, Rebecca wouldn't even have been born yet. See, sometimes God's working out all the details and you need to wait because he's that your path needs to cross with 20 years from now. But you don't know that. Maybe you haven't found a spouse yet because he or she hasn't received Jesus yet and his best for you is to find a believing spouse. See, you don't know what God's working out. But you know it's always perfect and it's always good. Sometimes you just got to hang in there. Remember we saw that translation last week? It said, Abraham stuck it out. Sometimes you just got to stick it out. All right, let's go on. All right, so here's where we didn't get to last week. For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. A little bit wordy. Uh, I'm going to try to break this down for you. It says, Thus God determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation, who fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. Do you know that it's actually, there are things that's impossible for God to do? A lot of times we think that God can do anything. No, God can't do anything. He can't lie. He can't not love you. See, there are some things that that God can't do. And here it says, it is impossible for God to tell a lie. And he said, the word there is immutable. Immutable means unchangeable. He said that that by two things that never in that it was impossible for God to lie. So what's immutable? If I jump, if I jump off the stage, what's going to happen? Now come on, that was not hope. You're going to break your ankle. I'm, the hope would be I'm landing on my two feet. But but why did I land on my two feet? Because of gravity, right? If I do it again, what's going to happen? What if I do it one more time, what's going to happen? Why? It's an immutable law, right? It's the law of gravity. It doesn't change. You think of other laws of physics that say an object at rest stays at rest unless acted on by another force, right? If I come back next week, where will that Bible be? Unless it's acted on by another force. If I come back a year from now, 10 years from now, 100 years from now, it'll be staying there unless something moves it. That's an immutable law. That law doesn't change. And here it says that God's counsel, God's purposes are immutable. See, we believe this, but we have a hard time believing God who doesn't lie and everything he says doesn't change. But I can believe Isaac Newton... I can believe the law of gravity, but my goodness, come to believe in the Bible, who's going to do that? But if it's possibly more immutable, God's laws are more immutable, God's purposes are the most immutable, they never change. And God says it, that settles it. So what's he say? He says, by two immutable things, uh, and I highlighted them before, you have to go back in the text, but he makes Abraham a promise, so the fact that God makes a promise and he can't lie, guess what I can do? Believe it. And he said, just in case you don't believe the promise, I'm going to take an oath. Now when we go to court, what do we do? I promise to tell the truth. See, now I can know who's been to court just by. It's kind of funny, nobody can quote a scripture, but everybody can quote the the convicting uh, telling the truth. I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God, right? It says you swear by somebody greater. So God said, just in case the fact that I never lie, can't lie, it's impossible for me to lie, that I told you a promise, made you a promise, just in case that doesn't bear enough weight, I'm going to take an oath, and since I can't swear on anybody greater than me, I'm swearing on myself, that I'm going to make it happen. And by the way, I can't lie on the promise, and I can't lie on the oath, Therefore, there's two immutable facts that will ensure that this thing's going to happen. Do you believe that? Now, I want you to pay attention to what it says down here. Who have fled for refuge to lay hope. Where is hope? Of the hope set where? Before us. Hope set before us. So we're going to talk about this in a minute. But let's just say, for an instance, I'm in a boat, right? And if I'm in a boat, what, will, what, what carries me if I'm in a boat? The, the current, right? Right, The current's moving this way, and if I drop an anchor, let's just say I'm here, and I drop an anchor, and it's got 100, 100 feet of rope or whatever, or chain, and I'm moving, right, with the current, and then all of a sudden, the chain runs out, and what happens to me? Stop. Now, where is the anchor? Uh, Before me or behind me? Behind me, but where is this anchor? Lay hold of the hope, which is before us. So here's where it doesn't really jive with the anchor of the boat, because it's a little bit of different anchor, okay? So on a boat, the current pushes me, the anchor's, where's it at? Beneath the water, right? Beneath and behind. And now the first hint I have is this anchor is ahead. Which is kind of weird because the anchor should be behind, but this anchor is ahead of me. All right, next slide. So here's the three things I want to talk about. It says, this hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil. So three things. It's an anchor of your soul. It's sure and steadfast. And it's behind the veil or it's anchored in the heavenlies. All right, real quick because I want to baptize some people. You guys ready for baptism? I love that. I love baptisms. Love it. All right. So think about this. It says, hope is an anchor for the soul. So soul, you need to just take a minute and think that soul and spirit are two different things. That you are a spirit. You possess a soul, and that spirit possessing a soul lives in this physical body, right? Even in the book of Hebrews, When it talks about the Word of God, it says the Word of God is is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing asunder what two things? No, wait, you knew. I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth. Oh, here we go. Soul and spirit. It says the Word of God is is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing asunder soul and spirit. Two different things. And then it goes to joints and marrow. So you have spirit, soul, and body all in that one verse. But he says here, it says that hope is an anchor for your soul. Not your spirit. Your spirit's secure. But what gets gets haywire? Your soul is made up of three things. Your mind, your will, and your emotions. Your thinker, your mind. Your chooser, your will. You make decisions. And your feeler, your emotions. That's where everything gets haywire. And it says that hope is an anchor for these three things. Now, you remember last week when we talked about Jesus said, oh, you of little faith, and we talked about little faith doesn't mean small because he says if you have the faith as small as the size of a what? Mustard seed, you can say this mountain be removed and it'll be cast into the sea. So he's not talking about small faith. It's not a quantity of faith. It's, it's, uh, it's faith that's short in duration. It's faith that, that, that stops before the promise is actually realized. And I won't go back into that, but if you were here last week, you know what I'm talking about. So the three things, interestingly enough, we talked about how many last week? Two. And, and so three times Jesus brings this up. Pertaining to the mind, If we, we didn't look at this, but in, in Matthew chapter 16, all three of these take place on a boat. You think that's a coincidence? Imagine that. So in Matthew 16, uh, he says to his disciples, he says, hey, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Another translation says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And the disciples start to, they they start talking among themselves, oh, it's because we didn't bring any bread. So he's not talking about bread, he's actually talking about the doctrine of the Pharisees, the doctrine of Herod, the doctrine of Sadducees. But he says, I I want you to beware of it. But they're wondering, well, we didn't bring any bread. And Jesus says to them, says when he got the land, he said, why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not understand? Do you not remember? When I fed the 5,000, how many baskets were taken up? And guess what they said? Twelve. And he said, when I fed the 4,000, how many baskets were taken up? All right, seven. So it wasn't that they didn't remember because they remembered the facts. But the facts didn't impact their thinking. Because he says, why do you reason because you have no bread. Didn't you just see me do a miracle? Didn't you just see me feed 5,000 people and we picked up leftovers? Didn't you just see me feed 4,000 people and we picked up seven basketfuls of leftovers? See, any time have God provide for you in your life, any time, has anybody ever had a miracle in their life? If you're saved, every hand better be up, (laughs) because that's the biggest miracle of them all. Anytime you've ever had a miracle in your life, you lose the right to reason from what you don't have. He said, why do you reason because you have no bread? See, their reasoning took place from what they didn't have instead of what Jesus had and what Jesus did and what he could do. Mind, will, emotion. Will. Will. The other one we looked at was, it was Peter, when Peter's on the water, remember, it's the middle of the storm, Jesus comes walking on the water, and, and Peter says, Lord, if it's you, bid me to come unto you, and Jesus says, come, and it said, Peter, get out of the boat, and what do he do? He walked on water, but then all of a sudden, he looks around, he sees the wind, he sees the waves, and he begins to sink. And he says, Lord, save me, and Jesus says, Peter, oh, you of little faith, why do you What? Doubt, And we saw last week that word doubt was made up of two words, distadzo which means dis meaning two and stasis meaning uh, foundation. It means having two foundations, that you can't decide between this and that, that you can't make a decision. See, when you have two options, you're going back and forth. Do I believe what Jesus says? Do I believe what I see? Do I believe God's word? Do I believe what I see? Do I believe that prophetic word spoken over me or do I believe what I see? And you just like this, emotions, he said, he said in that last one uh, is when the, uh, when the disciples said, they saw the waves, the waves were filling the boat in Matthew chapter eight, and he says, why are you so, or owe oh, you a little faith, why are you so fearful? And we saw that that word fearful meant to be a coward, to act cowardly. And so this, the fear, it's, it's, it's an emotion. So see, the enemy knows that if he, can, if he can thwart your hope, he can short-circuit your faith. And that's what he's going after. He's going after the way you think, the way you feel, and the decisions that you need to make. But God says, hope is an anchor for the way I think, hope is an anchor for the way I feel, and hope is an anchor for the decisions I make. It's an anchor for my, what? Soul. So here's the interesting thing. Remember we said hope is seeing what you can't see? God is giving us a picture of a picture. We're actually seeing a picture of hope. Are you guys starting to see a picture of an anchor? Are you starting to see that that it's anchored somewhere, you can start to see these things? Because the more you see them, the more you're going to be able to grab hold of them. Second thing, it says that hope is an anchor of the soul, both what? Two things. Sure and steadfast sure and steadfast I think it's interesting that it doesn't say that it's either sure or steadfast or it's one or the other it says both both sure and steadfast why is that important it's important because if it was sure which means true or reliable but wasn't steadfast and anchored guess what it may be true but I'm going floating on down the river Or what if it was steadfast, but it was steadfastly a lie? See, it's got to be steadfast, it's got to be secure, it's got to be anchored, and it has to be believable and true and reliable. One without the other doesn't work. And God says that hope that I give is both sure, it's credible, it's reliable, it's true, it's faithful, and it's steadfast, it remains, it's secure. It's secure. It it stands the test of time. And finally, here's the last one. It says that hope is an anchor for the soul, both sure and steadfast. And where is it fastened? Let me get the answer up there for you. Next slide. No, go back one. There we go. Fastened in the heavenly realm. Remember it says that Hope is an anchor for the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the, what, veil. So think about this. Where was the presence of God in the Old Testament, in the temple? Behind the the veil in the Holy of Holies. And you remember if you went through the, 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 the holy place, and then you went beyond the next veil into the Holy of Holies, inside of there was the Ark of the Covenant, and over top the Ark of the Covenant was the mercy seat, where the blood was applied, and on either side of the ark were two cherubim, and then in between that is where the presence of God dwelt. And he says, this hope is an anchor for your soul. It's sure, and it's steadfast, and it enters behind the veil. And so here's a picture of Jesus when he's applying blood to the mercy seat, that he's going into the Holy of Holies, not here on earth, but the one in heaven. And if you look in Hebrews chapter 9, it talks about that, that the temple in heaven is the real one. The one down here was the, the copy or the replica. And so Jesus goes into the very, uh, in the throne room, into the holy of holies in heaven, and actually applies his blood there. Now, I want to read this in the, the Passion Translation, which is the next slide. It says, our anchor of hope is fastened to the very mercy seat in the heavenly realm behind, beyond the sacred threshold. So here's the picture. So we have an anchor. I'm going to help you remember this. Typically on an anchor, how many, if you think of like an old Popeye type anchor, right? That's what I picture. H- how many sides to an anchor? Two, all right? How many immutable things did God give us? Two, his promise and his oath, right? And he says, this promise and oath never change, that they will anchor your soul, They're sure and steadfast. How many things is that? Two. Sure and steadfast. Promise and oath. Two immutable things. And it says that it is anchored where? Fastened where? In the heavenly realms, I like the Passion Translation, it says, in fastened to the mercy seat. So, here's the difference. If I'm in a boat and going downstream, the anchor is where? Below and behind, right? Where is the anchor that Jesus set? Above and beyond. See the difference? So what happens? This one keeps me back. What does this one do? Oh, it pulls me forward. It's a different type of anchor. See, not only is it secure, not only is it steadfast, but it pulls me in the direction of the promise. See, if I was going to go down to, to... the harbor at Baltimore and get on a ship, I've never been on a, I, I, I get seasick. So uh, I, I'm, I'm the guy that provides chum for the fish. You guys ever go chumming? Yeah, that's me. So I don't do big boats. But let's just say I'm going to get on a cruise ship, which I've never been, and I'm going to go from the, the inner harbor, the, the, the port of Baltimore, and I'm going to go all the way across to, to London, England. Is it possible that there'd be some some, some waves on the way? Yeah, is it probable it's sick? Is it possible that the boat could sink? It's a possibility, right? What if there was an anchor that had a chain that was thousands of miles long, and the anchor was set in England, and I'm in Baltimore? Now, what happens when the waves are moving? What happens when the wind? Guess where I'm guaranteed to get to? Because the anchor is already set in the destination. Isn't that a great picture? See, not only does this apply to your salvation, this applies to to any promise that, that, that Jesus has paid for. That you can see that he has anchored it in the heavenly realm, where there is no sickness, where there is no death, where there's no disease, where there's no addiction, where, where there's none of that. That's where your anchor is. I want to start with one more verse, verse 20, and we're done. Next slide. It says, This hope we have as an anchor, here's verse 19, both sure and steadfast, which enters the presence behind the veil, where the, look at this, forerunner. Where the forerunner has entered for us, even who? Jesus. You know what a forerunner is? So if you think of John the Baptist, John the Baptist was a forerunner of Jesus. It's somebody that comes to pave the way. It's somebody that goes ahead. At at, at this time, when a king was going to another country, he would send a forerunner ahead of him. He'd send a scout. And that scout or that forerunner would go to the next king and say, my king's coming, he's this or he's that, and, and okay, and then next thing you know, the king would come next. In this picture, Jesus takes the position of no reputation. Jesus takes the position of the servant that goes ahead as the forerunner for who? For us. It doesn't seem fair. I should be the one going ahead of Jesus, but this says he went ahead for me, and that if he's the forerunner, guess what there has to be after that? After runners. It's an invitation into the presence of God. It's an invitation that says, I've already been there, I've paid for your sin, I've I've paid for your health, I've paid for everything, I've already gone in, come with me. He says, come with me. See, you don't have to be scared going to the presence of God because Jesus has already been there and made it right. You don't have to let your... Here's the thing. You know what that anchor is? A lot of those anchors, that could be guilt. That could be shame. It could be your sin that you're stuck in. Jesus says, cut bait. Cut that one go to this one follow me into the presence I used to tell people there's no such thing as a hopeless situation as another theology I had corrected this week <laughs> probably heard me say that there's no such thing as a hopeless situation you know what there is such thing as a hopeless situation Any situation you're in without Jesus is hopeless. Go to the next slide. The only hopeless situation is the one you're in apart from Christ. Let me show you scripture to back that up, and we're going to close with this. It says, therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, that at that time you were with what? Without Christ. Being aliens from the Commonwealth of Israel—that means that you weren't part of, the, you didn't have rights of the citizenship of Israel, and you were strangers, to having what? No hope. Having no hope. Apart from Jesus, there's no hope. The vaccine is not a hope. Your job is not a hope. Your education is not your hope. <laughs> All that stuff is, is no hope. If you don't have Jesus, you got no hope. But with Jesus, see it says without hope, you're without God where? In the world. I don't want to be in the world without God. Now once you receive him, he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So once you receive Jesus, you're never without him. But until you receive Jesus, you got no hope. But the good news is there's hope. It's in him. Now let's pray. I want to pray for you guys. Father God, I thank you today that because of Jesus, because he was our forerunner, because he went ahead of us, because he paid for every sin we've ever commit, he, he bore every sickness, he bore every pain. Father, he took the chastisement for our peace. Lord, he took our shame and our guilt and all of it, and he took it to the cross. And then he he that descended was also he that ascended. And Lord, he took his blood and applied it to the mercy seat for us. He anchored that thing so secure, so sure in your very presence. Lord, I thank you that we can be secure in what Jesus did and Father, I just stand against every lie of the enemy, everything the enemy does to create doubt, to create fear, to create all those things, indecisiveness, Lord, that make me question, is God for me or is God against me? Does God love me, does God hate me? Lord, drive it home by your Holy Spirit that you love each person here, that your plans and purposes for them are secure and solid, And that, Lord, you want nothing more than for them to follow Jesus. Lord, I pray for each person today that is here to be baptized. God, I ask that uh, this would be a day of of new beginnings for them. That as they go under the water and come back up, that they would have just just a sense of peace. And a sense of knowing that all that old stuff is left behind you've already taken care of it. Father, I just thank you in the name of Jesus.